everybody. This is Barbara Aaron True, and this is my July show, getting on the air a little late. Uh, had to take care of a few things, but um, I hope my guest arrives, Paul Leonardo. Um, he is, uh, he sounds wonderful, and I'm um, hoping he will be here soon. And um, until then, uh hope you're having a wonderful July. The temperature is extremely hot here. It's over 90, and um, best to just stay inside and drink cold drinks and just, you know, live live in air conditioning. And so um, that's it. I have nothing more. <laughs> I'm hoping that my guest will be here. As I said, he's... Um, he and I met on Alignable, and um, very interesting guest because he is he writes in several genres, which is always fascinating when you have someone who writes in several genres. And so, um, yeah, this is this is great, and and. Um, Looking forward to speaking with him and talking about everything. And um, he says he's not on Facebook, so I can't put him into the chat. But everyone in the chat, um, hopefully you will want to call in and talk with him. So, um, you know, that's, that's it. And I'm looking forward to it very much. And um, that's it. So maybe I'll start the show off with something a little different. Um, usually, I start I start with introducing my guest, but I don't seem to have a guest here. So I'm just gonna. Um, read a poem that has gotten a lot of attention this week from a lot of people. And it's called In Your Embrace. Let me see if I can find it, if I put it in here. Okay, and it was written for a contest, In Your Embrace, back in May, and I forgot all about it, as we do with some of our writing, we always forget it, so I forgot all about it, and um, you had to write a poem to the photograph and the photograph is a young man sitting in flowers with his love interest and she's got her hand on his shoulder and he's got his arm around her shoulder and they're just really really comfortable and happy he's got a happy expression on his face and she's got a very happy expression on her face. So, 
I called this in your embrace. In your embrace, the world falls away. Our time together, an exquisite dream, like, sorry, I'll start again. It's not a good day. (laughs) In your embrace, in your embrace, the world falls away. Our time together, an exquisite dream-like moment, suspended in the amorphous cloud of love surrounding us, your arm encircling my shoulders, keeping me warm and safe, our happiness unmeasured as we drink love's essence. So this got a lot of attention from people. And so... um, if you like it, just, you know, let me know in the comments. And the other poem that I want to read to you is another poem which I wrote for April Poem a Day and which I posted on Facebook. And um, and it's quite, it's quite, a, um, you know, it's one of those poems. So, it's called The Sea of Numbers, and I'm going to find it. Meemaw, as I used to say in um, Sunday Night Live, talk among yourselves. Okay, shouldn't have any silence in radio, so. (laughs) Excuse me. Okay. Not really, everything's like not not coming together today. You ever have one of those days where nothing really comes together, and you're just like, "What is this? What's going on?" That's one of those days today. And I should probably look in April because that's when I wrote it. And I do not remember when, for when, or for what time period, or everything. But let me see. Okay, here it is. And I remember when I wrote it thinking to myself that, you know what? I hate, I I, I, I was going to skip numbers. But then I said to myself, no, I think I'll write about how much I hate them. And so <laughs> I wrote this poem and I put it away because that's what I do. And 
I put it away, and it was not there. And, um, yeah, it's funny. And, and then, just out of the blue, the other day, I decided that this would be a great poem to post. And so I did that. And and then I got so many compliments and people said, Oh, I think this is your best and I said I said, This is just about numbers which I hate. So this is called the Sea of Numbers. And here it goes. Numbers and I are not friends. We don't have the same bond as letters and I do. Letters are easy and come together in understandable bundles. But numbers are different and we don't get along. Oil and water are we whenever we meet. Numbers are the worst mean girls I ever knew, leading me in circular paths until I can get them settled. Oh, sure, you say, numbers are easy and more organized than letters. They follow exact rules that almost never differ, but my brain craves ABCs. They make sense to me in all combinations, whereas numbers always leave me puzzled as to what I should do to find the answer. Number theories leave me mystified. What operation do I use, and will the answer be right? If it isn't, what did I do wrong? Not like spelling or grammar errors, easily found and fixed. Sometimes, even knowing the answer, I am still stuck, lost, and always will be in the infinite sea of numbers. And so that's the sea of numbers, and like I said, it got a huge amount of people who were just so, they loved it so much. So, anyway, that's it. And um, see if my guest has arrived. Paul, did you arrive? Let's see. Going to see if my guest has arrived. Have you arrived? No, he is not. Okay. Um, Oh, he doesn't think he needs to come. (laughs) I'm waiting for you. I am waiting for you. Okay, everyone who's listening, I apologize for today's show already. (laughs) I... I just, you know, had so much to do today. I couldn't get everything together. So, and if a person isn't on Facebook, it's hard to communicate with them. It's all, you know. But um, we will, we will wait and see. And in the meantime, just for fun, I will read you some more poetry. I know you can't stand that, but. <laughs> this is what I do. I read poetry. Um, 
Let's see. Okay. Um, the other day we had um, an event. It's called Poetry Initiative, Raising Awareness for... And we did it on mothers and the role of mothers. So this poem is called The Role of Mothers. The minute your baby is born, you become a mother. It's instantaneous and creates a feeling never experienced before in your life. In front of you is a tiny creature dependent on you for its existence. You hold your baby in your arms and wonder how this tiny thing will grow to be an adult. And yet, though you don't realize it, your baby becomes a full-grown person. A mother is there from the moment a child comes into the world, and it looks to its mother for everything. We are everything at first, until the baby realizes that they are an individual. Mothers need to know when that time comes and prepare their fledglings for the outside world, which will not be as warm and welcoming as their arms. Teaching your child the difference between right and wrong lets them know how to behave in the world. It's a tricky line we balance between too much and too little care. This all depends on the circumstances and the behavior of the child. And some mothers just care too much and smother their child while they're loving, with their loving care, while others tend to have a laissez-faire attitude and allow their children to make mistakes and learn on their own. Either way, most children make it through until they are teens, and then a mother's role is the hardest. We must be the ones who take care of our child when life kicks her or him in the face. And we must show our child it's okay to feel how they do and to get up and try again. We are there for them at all times, trying to keep our judgment at bay, though at times shouting is necessary. We take our children in our arms no matter the age. When they need us, we are there whenever they ask and sometimes before they ask helping in any way we can, and taking the guff when no one else is there to do it, comforting when needed, and even reprimanding if they have crossed a line. Mothers are tough as, as leather and take all kinds of abuse from their children. Like the blow-up stop clown, you can push us and we don't fall. We might bend a little, but we do straighten and rise to do it again if we have to. It's a thankless job, but occasionally your child will appreciate what you have done, shower you with kisses and gifts and love and attention, and then you smile. It was all worth it. And when they go out in society and earn accolades and awards, you as a mother are there to share their joy. In Yiddish, the word is nachas, and you excel with happiness when your children are succeeding. Their joys are our joys, and their pain is our pain. The late nights and the days and days and nights of taking care of them while they were sick or injured mean nothing when you see your healthy, grown adult child succeeding in life. The role of a mother is to be a cheerleader for your child. Be there in times of happiness and sadness. Hold their hand when they need it, and kiss and hug them as much as you can. You know, the hope and light of your life. 
that will burn you eternally. And that was The Role of Mothers by Barbara Erentrue. And I'm waiting to see if my guest has called. He's here. He's here at the door. Yes. Hello. Hi, Barbara. How are you? I'm good. Is this Paul? Yes, this is Paul Leonardo. How is, how's everything going? Everything is good. Uh, would you introduce yourself a little to our listeners, just a little? Oh, certainly, yes. Uh, my name is Paul Leonardo. I'm a, a writer, a freelance writer and author. I've uh, written a number of books in, science, in you know, different, different actually genres. I really don't have a particular one, but so I've been writing in fiction and nonfiction for you know, a good 20-some-odd years now. Okay, that's great. So I am going to be asking you a number of questions. You have the questions. So any question you don't want me to, if I start asking it, just tell me to stop. Okay. Oh, sure. Because we didn't get that a chance. That should be a problem. Usually, yeah, usually um, I, I communicate, but it was, like I said, it's been a very difficult night and day, so um, yeah, very filled. Yeah. So um, um, I just want to um, let you know that it, this is a safe environment. <laughs> if okay. you need to. I trust you. Hold yeah, on. I have to I've put you on speak. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, actually, actually, I, the first question I'm going to ask you is, where were you born and where do you live now? Uh, well, I was born in Providence, Rhode Island, um, and I haven't moved too far, too much further away. I, I've lived in North Providence most of my life and moved to Lincoln, just a town over uh, in recent years. And I've only strayed a little bit, moving to California a couple of times to try to find my way. And I've been mostly living in Rhode Island, though, however these, uh, however many years here. So it's been, uh, I'm, I'm still close to home. So you live on the coast or... Um... I do, yes, yes. Uh, not too far from, uh, I guess you're in New York City, I believe. So, yeah, we're not too far away. We're no, just, uh... I'm, I'm in Stanford. Oh, okay. Even even closer then. Yeah, I'm we in actually Stanford, do a lot of travel. on the coast, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we've been through there. My son plays a lot of baseball, and we go through Connecticut and into New York to play some uh, play some baseball games. So we're uh, we're all, we're local. Me and, me and you, we're not too far apart. No, it isn't too far to Rhode Island from us. I mean, no, just go right up not, so. 84 <laughs> or 95, yeah, no, whatever. It's a, it's a good drive. So yeah, I'm, I'm, a, yeah. I'm a local. I'm an yeah. East Coaster. Yeah, I love I love it up here. Actually, um, all the especially in the summer, you know, we go up to uh, the, um, well, we go up east, which is funny because to me. <laughs> It isn't east. It's well, like it's like where it's northeast to go to the um, the little places up there that that sell lobster and lobster rolls. Yeah, and, yeah. It depends where you are. I mean, if you're further west, they call it back east. So yeah, you're not too far away. So it's just a little bit, little bit up east, a little bit east. Up east so. is where I think it is. Okay. <laughs> so besides writing. 
Do you have any other occupation? Uh, no, I've been writing uh, full time now for the past uh, probably eight years. Uh, I've got some. Uh, I've been doing some freelance writing for some local uh, newspapers and magazines that are you know strictly local, locally based. And between that and the fiction and and nonfiction books I write, I, I, I stay pretty busy uh, all day long. And you make a living out of that. I make somewhat of you could call it a living. I would call it uh, a living. You know, some people wouldn't, but again, it's writing and it's doing what you like to do, and uh, it's, it's you know, it's one of those. Yeah, things writing is not it. something that's lucrative, except not for everybody. You're like There's a, a bestseller, and you, you yes, know, you yes. And again, I don't think anybody writes for for that purpose. If that happens, I think that's just no. a bonus. And uh, right. people who try to achieve uh, that, I, I think, uh, misled. But I mean, if you get a, and if you're going to get there, you're going to have to do what you like to write, and not just what people, what you think they want you to write. So it's one of those, one of those things. You got to serve yourself, and people will appreciate it. Exactly. Do you have any hobbies? Uh, I mentioned baseball was a was a hobby of mine. I used to play for many years. I'm still a fan, and now that I have my son playing, he's 15 and very active in the sport, uh, plays very well, so we play pretty much year-round. I help coach. Uh, so I'm, I'm active in baseball, and I do like to keep fit. So at my age, I, I spend a lot of time uh, working out every day, so I was trying to stay healthy and fit so I could take care of this, this you know, boy who's 15 who needs uh, needs somebody to throw baseballs at him all day long. So I have to be, I have to be healthy. <laughs> you know? So... Since you love baseball, it's hard to understand who or what influenced you to begin writing. Uh, that uh, that probably stems back to not even writing. I, when I was really young, I wanted to make be a filmmaker, and I really got into uh, mm-hmm. making films in the backyard on a Super 8 movie camera my friend had, and I would write the scripts and direct my friends and act out all these, these crazy parts. And this was in the 80s, so it was in the horror when horror was taking its hold on uh, popular culture there. So I was really into the the whole horror genre initially with the Stephen King books I was reading and the different horror movies, so I want to emulate that. So I get get into filmmaking before I get into writing, but I I like to write my own own material, so the writing was natural. I wanted to create something, and it just took from, from there, it just became... I don't know if I can get to become a filmmaker yet, but you know what? I do enjoy writing and creating things, so I started writing scripts, started writing short stories, eventually novels, that kind of thing. So it kind of progressed over many right. years. Right. So just filmmaking. And do you have a screenplay that you have written and had published, or? Well, I had written. I had written some stuff for the screen. I studied the art of screenwriting and went through the whole process of reading the books and going to seminars and finding out how to write a screenplay. And very amateurish, very bad. Like like you do anything else and you first start doing something, it's, it's usually not good. You have to be bad to to get and keep at it and get better at it. And I, uh, the, you know, the scripts were you know amateurish and they were immature. And uh, but I, but again, it took me to where I needed to get, I guess, because I, I I processed that and I, I began to began to you know try my own hand at writing fiction from there. And that that's something that really took hold, and I, I kept at that for a long time. Yeah, well, that's a lot. Um, I actually did. Now, now I'm going to sin. I I actually wrote my very first screenplay and got. 
two awards for it. So. <laughs> oh, did you really? Okay. I did. Well, don't be feeling sorry. You're laughing like it's funny. I mean, what, is it a comedy or? Is it, no, it's it, 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 it is it is because it's about my life, and. It, oh. Oops. Um, it's about my life. It's um, it's uh, it's called the kiss, and it was about how my husband um, my husband um, and I met. Well, we met, but it, it was it was after we met. You know, um, it was just um. Really, it was a personal, personal kind of almost, almost a memoir, fictionalized maybe, or is it more? It was no, it was. There was actual dialogue in there, and I got an award for dialogue. Dialogue so, is very difficult. I got to tell you, if you can really master the dialogue in in fiction or in in film screenwriting, that that's that's difficult to do. It is. Yeah, yeah, I did it. I did it, and. And um, so, anyway, so anyway, um, so I um, I just wanted to uh, yeah I, I I'll actually share part of it with you later if you want. So um, yeah, certainly. Yeah. So please describe a typical day of writing for you. Since you do it all day. Uh, yeah, well, a typical day, again, is based on uh, my son's now home for, uh, for school, so things are a little bit different. Uh, time time is, is different. We spend, I like to spend more time with him now, now that he's home, if he's home as well. Um, so I really don't have set hours, especially in the summertime, uh, because I have the full day. I, I do like to work at night when everybody's sleeping and it's quiet. I do prefer staying up late. As opposed to you know early morning, I'd rather sleep. But with school it starts, it's up early, taken to school, so I'll, I'll work more during the daytime. But I try to write at least you know eight hours uh, between you know research writing. Uh, it, de- it depends. It's an eight-hour day, but it's not all writing. It's a lot of research that has to be done, and I do a lot of reading. So it, I think I, I include that in there because I'm not reading for enjoyment so much. It's just it's to research and find out what I need to find out to get a character right or get a story right. So it's it, it, it seems like it's it's not writing, but it is because it, re- reading and researching is involved. It's it's part of the process. Oh, Very interesting. That's usually yeah. a lot of writers do that. They have to do research. Um, even if you're writing about your own self, you still have to do some research. You know, you have to check yes, to make sure everything. Yeah. yeah, you're putting I know into it's a check you, but but you want to have it right, even though if somebody somebody may look something up. I mean, you want off the top of your head, sometimes you get things wrong. You you just don't remember things exactly right. And right, know. exactly. Yeah. So so I, um, you know, I find that um, if it, I, I usually try to find <laughs> to get um, to get things right. But, you know, it, it, it can be difficult. Yeah, to get yeah, everything right. I am you, actually you writing wanna... a yeah. I'm writing a memoir about my own, you know, life right now, and I'm I'm wondering if you know 
if I'm getting everything right because it's so yeah you you do the background on the what happened that year there was something going on in the news and you want to get it right because if it was at a certain time there were certain things going on in in the media politically socially that you know you want to capture because they were happening at the same time that you're describing something happening to you so you got to make sure that those things all line up right and you're remembering it correctly sure yeah exactly so um how did you how did you publish your first book okay you were you were in filmmaking and you wrote screenplays and then how did that go from writing screenplays oh. to publishing your first book oh well initially i was writing a lot of short fiction i i enjoyed reading different writers writing uh you know anthologies or being you know participating in short stories in in collections um and again it's most a lot of it was in the horror field so I did do a lot of reading, and I would write my own, you know, my own short stories. So I began writing those and trying to publish those in the magazines of the time. This was before the internet, so you had to mail them, print them up uh, by hand. You actually even had some typewriter work back then. It wasn't uh, that long ago, but it really was, I guess, because they had to be sent well, through the mail to the publishing houses, <laughs> and you'd have to wait for months to get a reply. You had to put the envelope in there with a the stamp so they would send you back a rejection letter. So you actually had to pay for your So it would cost the price of a stamp in an envelope to let them to tell you, you know what, thank you for submitting your story to us, but uh, no thank you. And you know, that went on for, for several years. A little frustrating, but it didn't deter me, because I, I guess, because I, I, kept, I kept at it. Um, it did become a lot easier once the Internet was established and you could uh, email publishers and send them your stories through, <laughs> through email. Yes. And it just became a lot easier, and you could do a lot more submitting and a lot more writing. And uh, I right, guess it is right. for everybody else and as well. There's more I remember that. I remember yeah. first trying to get my 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 work into a publisher, sending it in envelopes, having to send <laughs> you know stamps and and making sure you had the the, the self-addressed envelope in there and everything else. Yeah. Just a it, lot of stuff. It, yeah. It was time-consuming, and it was was costly, and, and, you know, it it definitely built up, uh, uh, you know, your ability to Right, so how did, after this, yeah, this process, how did, after all this, how did this process, you know, get you a published book? Uh, Well, like I said, once... um, yeah, it was around 2000, 2001, I guess. I, I found a publisher for a, a, my first novel that I had written. And it was the same process going through online, looking at publishers who were accepting certain types of manuscripts. And this was a science fiction uh, kind of story. So, uh, you know, I ended up sending it to hundreds, hundreds. Whatever publishers were out there looking for manuscripts, you, you send it. Um, and I happened to find one that wanted to publish it. It was I've, I was surprised as anybody else because I'm sending these things out there for so long and not getting accepted, I finally found somebody that wanted to publish uh, actually a novel, not even a short story. So it was a full-length book. And and so that, that was, uh, that was again, I got to credit a lot of it to uh, the, the ability to get the mass market uh, through the Internet and find a publisher that way rather than doing the way we used to do it with the old-fashioned stamps to the oh, mail. Oh, yeah. It was fine. Um, you had to go to that the library and that big book, yeah. that huge book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the the writer's book, right? So I had to find the addresses of all these publishers and these literary yes, agents all that, that stuff. you would try to I know. 
So, again, we went through it, and we got through it, and eventually, you know, technology caught up, and it just made it easier to submit. And, again, you got more people submitting, too, so it's not any easier so much because there's more writers now, it seems like. It's because it's easier to attract somebody and easier to write something and self-publish, which I've done some of that as well. Uh, when I have yeah, something I'm, that nobody I'm seems to want, republishing, I self Yeah, I'm republishing my book, self-published. Yeah. But you know what? It's is, not such a stigma these days because so no. many people self-publish. So you remember when it was in the, that time around 2000 oh, when it was first coming out? It, it was uh, they they looked I down do. their nose you at you. You weren't even um, looked at if you had your book nah. self-published. So in looking through your bio, yep, I noticed. So so who who actually published your book? Your first book. Uh, this is a. This was a publisher. I'm sure they're defunct now. It's called Barclay Books, and they were a small publisher in Florida, I believe. And um, they were they were an upstart. They were new, and there was a lot of that going on as well. So that was helpful because they were new publishers, they were new writers, and they were trying to make names for themselves. So sometimes you could hook up that way, and everybody's kind of you know get a mm-hmm. chance at this. So. They gave me a chance, and obviously it was uh, you know it didn't sell very well. They were a small publisher. I was a no-name author, but to get something you know published, it made me want to write further, and that that kind of sparked me just to, to keep going to the next you know trying to take it to the next level, and just 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 to keep busy, just to keep writing, and have a focus where I'm not just wasting my time and um, down the road that I've just yeah. Well, writers always constantly writing, so it's like. It's like you've written your book. Okay, on to the next. So, in looking looking through your bio, I noticed you've studied filmmaking and screenwriting, as you said. Yeah. Um, How has this helped in writing your novels? I I mentioned to you uh, you the the dialogue thing, which is you know really really important, and that that was the the focus, as you know, of of screenwriting is is mostly almost entirely dialogue, and there's very little besides you know stage instruction. uh, What's in there is purely dialogue. So I think that helped me. I I like to read novels that have have dialogue that means something, and I don't like to read blocks of exposition and 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 at, at length. So you need to have characters interact with each other and, and, and have it be real and sound like they're real people having real conversations, not just taking up, you know, pages on the text to, exactly. to get your book. Exactly. That's, that's very important in, in, in novels yeah, to be real. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I think that studying that screen screenwriting helped me with, with dialogue. Okay, so uh, I also noticed you have both a degree in mortuary science and an English degree. Please uh, yes. explain, if you can, why you have both of these. Yeah, I mean, I know with English, you, it's it's more for, uh, you know, that's not a, a degree you can do too much with, and as my mother always used to say, and it's, it's true to, in that sense. I mean, you can learn how to get an English degree just by being, you know, uh, studious and reading a lot but uh and but so i i needed something to, i needed a job basically <laughs> once i get out of my get my english degree it's like yeah okay how do i get a job maybe i could continue writing but have another job on the side and that's what i tried to do and i wanted to pick a there's something to do where that would be interesting emily had done and that would be kind of unique and i don't think there's anything more unique than working as an embalmer in the funeral homes um when your family I think is not, you have you know, to have a certain 
Okay, you have to have a certain mindset to do that. So, yeah. bravo to you. Um, I could never well, do that. A, a curiosity, maybe too, a dark curiosity. I mean, again, I was into, maybe. I was heavily into that that side, that you know, that genre of horror, and I, I, I again, it turned out to be totally different than it was. It was, it was, could be horrific, but it's really, it's really not. It's a, it's a, it's a people who have have that. Uh, for a family who who do that for a living, it's it's, it's a passionate business and involves a lot of care. So it's it's it, but it is you know it can be kind of scary for a lot of people too to find out what 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 goes on there, what happens. So it's it was more curiosity and um, just want to do something interesting um, with my my spare time while I was writing on the side. I thought it would maybe even help me, but it became you know it's a job and there's not a lot of free time once you are working full time. It it really takes away from writing it it's if you can't write full-time it's very difficult to write at all sometimes i i, I think and it's the quality of the work suffers as well as, as the time well yeah the, look what you're doing it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> but it was very, it was I, very I mean you have to, to constantly that, be with people who are sad it's like yeah, yeah. i mean was, no one is happy there you don't have people coming in smiling. You, they're always nope. dead. No, yeah, yeah, and and again, that's why I, I left. I left Rhode Island to do that. I did. Uh, somebody um, knew. I knew somebody that knew somebody out in California. They said, you know, you want to work out there. I didn't really want to be around people I knew, friends, family, and all that. As to do that kind yeah, of work. Yeah, because what if one even, of them it, had to come there, and then you you it, were you know in charge it would have been really well, it Rhode Island is a very small state and it is true and they say I don't know if you know that brown hair but it's, it's so small people everybody you know, they, they do know everybody else pretty much I mean it's a tiny tiny state and the community is even smaller so if wherever I'm working I would know everybody so I did want to you know try my hand at this profession and I did it in California for a number of years and uh, got the experience doing that so again it's just another one of those steps that take you through life in, the, in another direction eventually I, I exactly. get out of it exactly yeah um, yeah I agree yeah so yeah. okay so then we, we straighten that out <laughs> yeah the kinds the kinds of books you have written are both fiction and non-fiction. Which do you prefer to write, and why? Well, I they're definitely so different for me. When I got into the non-fiction, uh, that was not even in, uh, something I was even thinking about. I really wanted to write fiction. That's what I wanted to do: create my own characters, own stories. And but eventually, <clears throat> when word got out that you know my this this friend who know who know me they said I know a friend I got a friend Paul he's a writer and everybody has an idea about a, a story or their own life or something that happened to them that they thought was so interesting it needs to be a book and I got a lot of that from people like yeah you should meet this person they got this great story they this happened to them and they want to write a book about it and a lot of them were you know very personal stories that I didn't think would would work very well for anybody else except for that individual who went through it and you know a lot of times people they don't realize that, and I, you know, a few of them I did write books with, and explaining to them that I, I doubt this is going to be, you know, very interesting for other people. But if you want to write it for your own purpose, I can help you write it, and for a cathartic kind of thing, or if it's just something that you always wanted to do, I can help you because you're coming to me for that help. So I did right. that a number of times with people. So the, the nonfiction um, was something I did for other people. 
and a, and a few of them did break through because they were involved true crime, which is a topic and a genre that people uh, like to read about. And if it's a strong enough story, it's a big enough story. Uh, I found a publisher for a couple of them that uh, were locally pretty big true crime type stories, and they, they kind of broke through because, you know, people wanted to hear about them more. Um, yeah, I noticed a few crime stories on your on your um, book covers. I couldn't actually yeah. put all the book covers on the show page, but I put um, quite a few, the ones you gave me, and then um, a few I found somewhere else. But um, yeah, so why did you decide to write? This is totally off. Why did you decide to write the Goblin Pitcher? Oh, that one, yeah, that one, that was very fun to write. That one actually took me a few years to kind of to fit down into the story that it finally became. I, I wanted to write a story, you know, for my son, who was probably at the time I first started to write. It was about seven or eight, just getting into playing, you know, Little League and T-ball and all that stuff and being a big baseball fan. It was kind of felt natural to me to, to involve that story and wanted to write something that would interest him too at the time. And it, I wanted it to be a children's children's book. And it took me a few years to actually complete it because I was working on other projects and it just kept changing on me. It was one of those stories that, that didn't finish quickly. Some books you can you know what, what's going to happen before and you just write it and it writes itself. This one changed and it, it, it was hard to get a hold of it but I think by the end I really got a good grasp on it but, but by then my son was about 11 almost 12 and this was like a middle grade kind of book so he was probably at about this, the age where it would still work um, for him but it was probably a little bit you know a little bit immature for him because it's made for probably 8, 9, 10, 11 year olds and um, it was a really cute story and I, I had fun writing it I kind of modeled the character after him who was a it was a pitcher you struggle when you're young if you understand how baseball is a very frustrating sport and there's a lot of failure involved yeah. and and yeah. you see little kids uh very again very distracted and very you know sad about their performances so you kind of kind of feel for them so this story was about a, a goblin who uh was was going through the same kind of thing and he was a a pitcher as well and it was just a nice kid story, very you know, obviously G-rated. It cute. I lo- I looked through it. I looked through the Amazon book, and um, I was a teacher, so I think this kind of book would get the interest of a kid to read it, and it has a lesson in it, I think. So that's yes, kind of yes. cool. Yes. I didn't read it, but it looked like it would be a very good story to use in a in a classroom to talk about. Um, I think so. I think so too. Things. I do, and I, yeah. I try to get teachers involved in that. It's, again, it's one of those difficult things, uh, Barbara, because you spend so much uh-huh. time writing it. You want it to be successful, but, but again, to, you got to put more time actually into promoting a book than you exactly. do writing it. And but that's, look, we that's have you right I, I, on here. Anybody uh, who has a child who likes to read a little bit, you know, stuff like Harry Potter and stuff like that, and 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 they will enjoy this. The Goblin Pitcher. It's a, you know, if your kid likes baseball, and also if they like to read about, you know, a little bit of fun stuff like goblins. Goblins, I didn't, I didn't think were that dangerous. A, you know, a group of monsters. Yeah. So. Yeah, there is so, uh, in the story. There are they're mostly good, but there are some evil ones in here that that are going to get uh, play a game against 
good right. versus so evil. So this is your first children's game. book, right? Yes. First probably uh, and only right now, and I'm kind of happy I did that when I did because I'm probably going to get into more, you know, science fiction, horror, doc fantasy for for either middle school or adults now. So I'm happy I, I wrote that when I did. So you didn't write anything for young adults or 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 um, kids mm-hmm. like your, your no. son's age? No, no. I thought I was going to write more, but again, it's one of those things where you go in a direction where you, you know, uh, things take yeah. you, and you know, it's 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 gotten me from there to on to where I'm going now. And I know. Um, I, well, I wrote. Again, I wrote a. Um, yeah, I wrote a one novel that was a young adult novel. If I could be like Jennifer Taylor. And then that novel spun off to another, who is Jennifer Taylor, because the secondary character was so powerful, she practically took over. So she needed her own book and her own story to continue. And then from this book, I created a group of girls who were so also such a a great group together that I had to write a book about the girls so oh, I call it okay. the Mill Valley High Five and it's it's in it's now called the Mill Valley High School series high okay. series I think the Mill Valley High series and so I am publishing my first novel republishing it with KGP and hopefully it should be out soon. We have everything done. Everything inside is done. All that needs oh. to be finished is the cover, and we haven't been able to do that well yet. So yeah, that's, that's that another thing. That's very launch. important. <laughs> and, you, this, yeah. and this is how we get into the next part. You used a nine-year-old illustrator for this book. How did this happen? Yeah. And please describe this experience for our listeners. Well, I mean, um, if you you probably saw the photos. Actually, on the website, I have them all blown up. You can see them very clearly. Uh, she was nine at the time. Her name was, you know, Avery Palmer, and she was a, a sister of um, my son plays on a baseball team, and and her brother plays with my son. So she was always around, and I and and she was, you know, always had drawings that she was showing everybody. She was very proud of how she could draw things, and she was very talented. And someone had suggested that you know she could probably you know illustrate some of uh, some of the characters in in your in your book. So I gave her the book to read, and she read she read through the book very quickly, and she came up with her own idea of what these little creatures looked like based on my description, and uh, she gave them to me. This was while I was writing the first few drafts, and to my surprise, they were actually very well done, and it's something I asked her if I could use them, actually, to put some of those right into the book um, when I published it. And cool. And she was, she was blown away by it, too, and uh, she's very, very ecstatic. And she actually continues to draw, but she's got some other interests, too. She's very artistic, so it's one of those things where, yeah, at nine years old, if you can do something like that and somebody encourages you to continue doing it, I think it, it kind of helps them to to keep keep going and not give up. So I was very supportive, and she's very good. So I wasn't uh, it wasn't like I was just you know telling her she was good, and she wasn't. She's she's very talented, and I was happy to have her her drawings in my book. That was wonderful. I saw them; they were so cute. 
Yeah, they were do just a job. so cute. And, I mean, I um, didn't know how to put them in the book. I had to have somebody help me do that, but they were her original drawings that were able to be, you know, maybe eight or ten of them were throughout the entire book. Every few pages, there's there's, there's one. There's sketches. Yeah, they they're beautiful. Well, yeah. And, and did, did someone, like, smooth them out for her? How did that work? Did you get an illustrator to, like, smooth no, them they, out? No, they were... No, they were original sketches that that she did, and uh, there's a way you. These, you know, I had my wife do it to superimpose them right onto a page as is. Uh, it, it's pretty simple, and they can just put you know just put them right into onto a page in different places where they 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 kind of fit into the story. Um, and these are very small. I I, I put them in wow. there, small little features, but on my website, thegoblinpicture.com. You can go to it and see all of the uh, all the yeah. I saw them; they were great. That she did for a yeah. nine-year-old. You know, being a teacher, yeah. I've seen kids' drawings, and they really very detailed, beautiful work. Yeah, if you yeah, and they were only in it... in um, in um, pencil too. I mean, that was it was really well done. So, if you could, this is this is the big part now. <laughs> Please describe a little bit about each of your books. You don't have to do all of them. How many books actually do you have? Written? Oh well, uh, that, that I would probably say there are about twenty. There's going to be twenty titles now. Um, yeah, you know. So just just the ones titles. that you feel you want to talk about. You know, we can't hear all twenty, but you know. Yeah, I mean, pick some again, that like, you want to tell our listeners about. Lately, yeah, okay. Like I said, Barbara, some of them are kind of very personal. Some people have stories they want to tell that are, you know, not maybe not interested outside their small group of, of well, people. Well, I want the, one the ones I, that you wrote, yeah, that you wrote, you know, exclusively one, your own. Yeah, the one, the one yeah. that I'm, I'm probably most proud of is, is helping uh, a woman. She wanted to write a story about her experience. Uh, and I'm, I'm maybe familiar with this uh, fire, the station nightclub fire in uh, Warwick, uh, West Warwick, Rhode Island, in 2003. I heard about 20 that years fire. Ago. That was awful. Yes, and, and when I first people met her, people were like, like people, sealed in; they couldn't get out. Yeah, there were a hundred people one. who died. There were yeah, exactly they were sealed in; they couldn't get they them couldn't, out. No, they they just oh. were trying to get out, so they kind of got stuck in the door. A lot of them, and people. Yeah, it, it a lot was of horrific. Them and and she survived somehow. She uh, she was in the building, and she blacked out during the process. She didn't know, uh, you know, she was overcome with smoke, and somehow somebody pulled her out, and she survived. Gina Russo, and she wanted to write a story about this. And I'm like, wow, this this story I think might have an interest. Uh, a publisher might want to be interested in a story like this. So I, of course, wasn't really. Yeah, I didn't care if it be published by a publisher or not. I wanted to help her write her story. Write her story, and I was like, we can publish this ourselves if we can't find somebody that took, that wanted to do this. And to my shock, we could not find a publisher who was willing to publish this. No, this because book. they only publish celebrities and, now or people who are bestsellers who've already yes. had bestsellers, and it's just like, you know, I, I can't deal with the amount of and, stuff that's going on yes, in it's, the... It's amazing. Yes, I, I agree. So I didn't waste too much time with that, Barbara. I, I, I just I threw a couple of feelers out there and said, all right, this is how this is going to go. So let's not waste time and years waiting for these people to get back to us. Let's we'll finish the book, get it the way you want. I'll help you write it, and we'll just self-publish it because in... in 
and this was even 20 years ago when it was first, you know, it was probably 2007 or 8 when the book came out. It was right around the time when, when self-publishing was, was coming of, of age in that sense. So we found a, a way to do it, and, you know, she was very good. She wanted to promote this thing, and she wanted to donate pro, you know, some of the proceeds to help some of the victims and different things that she wanted. Mm-hmm. That was her reason for doing it. It wasn't for fame. It wasn't for money. But she wanted to get her story out there and show people what she survived because she was burnt very badly and she went through a oh, lot. She lost God. her fiance who was with her. Her fiance was with her who died in the fire. Um, oh, that's so And she so kind of rebuilt her life. She 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 did. She she she's an amazing person to to get through this the way she did and the, the attitude that she that she took. I feel amazing. so awful because. Um, I have survived the fire. Oh, really? Yeah. We that's why we moved to Stanford. Um our we were living in a two a, a two family duplex and um you know, two floors for each family. And the family next door was a, a really sweet Christian Mexican family and yeah. one night the, the, well, before this happened our landlord reinstalled uh, a water heater they had they reinstalled the water heater but they didn't use a licensed contractor they oh, used brother-in-law or something and I was at the kitchen table because I was getting things ready for school or whatever and I was on the computer and I heard the fire alarm go off next door the smoke alarm and then I moved closer to that sound and I smelled smoke so oh, you could okay. open our door and look into their apartment. That's how close we were. But there was like a very wide space between us, like a fire space. I don't know what you called it, but it was enough space so that the fire didn't come through our house. However, okay. I looked outside and this was like a dream flames were licking out of the window. Wow. My family was asleep upstairs. And so I called up to them, fire, fire, fire. And finally they woke up. I said, get out. <laughs> so we have to get well, out. Well, there must have been smoke everywhere too because that, that's something you can't see through, that you can't breathe in. Oh, God, it was awful. So we all yeah. got out of the house, of the apartment somehow, and my husband was not in great shape at that time, and, but he had asthma, and the, the smoke wasn't good for him. So what happened was he could not get... We, had, we lived on a cul-de-sac, and so the fire engines came and blocked his entrance while I was able to get out. And we drove away, and he could not drive with us because he was blocked in by the fire engines oh, and had to stay yeah. there the entire night with all the smoke going around and everything. 
Yeah. And it was awful because the smoke damaged our apartment and it destroyed theirs, destroyed the the fire, destroyed the the staircase. And the sad thing is the the firefighters couldn't get to the couple that was in the second floor bedroom. Oh, no. Yeah. And... They could not get them. They could not. They tried to go through our apartment, but it did not work. So there would be holes oh. in our ceiling and everything, and they 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 could not do it. And and so um, the 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 couple perished. Oh boy, that's sad. It was that's very sad. sad. I mean, the well. other people they were living with um, brothers or some friends. And they managed to jump out of the window. Did they? Safety. You said it was the second second floor. You said That's, they, um, it was like yeah, we were like yeah, we, they they would have been they there would have been like a third floor because it was like up above the street. You had to go up a staircase to get into the apartments, so there was like a, a tiny little path to go to their apartment, like a little balcony kind of thing. Yeah. There was our apartment and their apartment, and that was it. And um, it damaged, the fire was so bad, it damaged the, the house next door. That's how wow. bad it was. And they were yeah. like, they had, it was like a six-alarm fire. It was all over the, the newspaper, and I have it on my blog about what it looked like. It was just, we were not there to see it, but we heard about it. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and we heard about it. We were in a Dunkin' Donuts and um, right down the block. Well, kind of down the block. If you know you know New York State, you know um, North White Plains, there's yeah. Dunkin' Donuts on that, on that road well, that, that goes yeah. to um, Pleasantville. If you go straight on the road, you get, or it goes to the airport. If you stay straight on the road, so um, okay. so we came back, and some unknown neighbors we didn't even know them saw us, and when they saw what we looked like and what had happened, and they knew they were looking, they were on the other block, and they were looking at all the fire trucks and everything. It must have been all night thing. They took us into their house and gave us breakfast and let it, let us get cleaned up a little, and and I never met them before. They were just oh. strangers. Yeah, I see that. Um, and then the, the, the Red Cross came and and put us up for the night in in a hotel, and then we wound up staying in a hotel for a month and a half on our own money and. Then we decided we had to move because that building was condemned. And so Hmm. um, we had no place to live. And we started looking for apartments, and we found this place in Stanford. And my daughter was working for a place here, so it was pretty convenient, just down the block. So she walked to work. I know, very, but... That was yeah. awful. The, the fire was well, awful, and so I it, I had PTSD from the whole experience. I'll bet I know that. That's a lot of what what happened with the story that I wrote. I mean, some people 
never got over the losses, never got over the, the problems that they had with, I had, with their own health yeah. as a result. And I had so I had was, um, a little bit of therapy because to you know take all this in that you know the, this what, these people had died. It's yeah. really overwhelming. It still is very overwhelming to me. You can hear I'm very overwhelmed by it. Um, but fire is an awful thing, and that must have been quite a book. So uh, what is it called again? And it was called um, From the Ashes. From the Ashes. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, can you tell us about another book that you've read? <laughs> well, yeah, like I said, uh, I mean, that was probably my uh, most, you know, when I had the most trouble, you know, writing and the most, you know, as far as the result when it was when it was done. Yeah, because of it, the fact that you had to get this woman to talk about it, and she must have been overwhelmed to to talk about it. Yeah. It's it's very hard to talk about such a traumatic experience. Yeah, and she lost so to, her to boyfriend. Go, oh, yeah. yeah. And, and so you know, doing stories like like that, and then trying to to go into you know my own my own fiction. But I did something I want to talk about because it's brand new and it's something I had never done before, and that's writing poetry. Um, yes. I wrote a, a complete a book yeah. of poetry, which is not something I ever would have thought I would even attempt to do. But, however, these are these are uh, haiku poetry. If, you, if you're familiar with that format, they're, uh, they're short three-line poems. Um, yes. And they're five, I, and, seven, and, and yeah. Yes. Five, seven, and, and five, so, yes. The syllables yeah. are five, seven, and five, and these are all what they call harakus, hara haikus. And it's something wow. that I, I, I discovered, and I, I, I guess I got really into it because I wrote a whole book, uh, 365 different hara haiku poems, one for each day wow. of the year. And I, I kind of modeled for each day of the year. See, they, they, you know, so whatever month it is, they, they kind of represent the season and some of the days of the month that have, you know, representative um, events uh, and history that happened on those days. I, I came up with them. And they're all involved in different areas of, of, of horror. And there's a crossover because, you know, horror is, is, a, is a vague term. And they're not all just, like, horrific, but they all involve something that is, whether it's like a spider crawling on you is included in these kind of things. So people have different fears of, 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 of people fear all kinds of things. So anything like that would work. So I, I used that and came up with 365 different poems uh, in the haiku form. And I'm proud of that because I just, that's not something that would have came up on my radar until I discovered it, until I started to, until I wrote one. I think it's very unique. And, and I think yeah. it would be fun to read. And so um, when it comes out, uh, please come back so we can, yes, you know, talk I about will. it. I absolutely yeah. will. Yeah. And uh, I, so I appreciate you. Uh, are you welcome? I'm, my my show is open to all authors. So, I, you know, and if you've been a, a guest on the show, you you don't have to be interviewed anymore because everybody knows about you. <laughs> so we <laughs> yes. just sit and talk. It's fun. So um, well, I know I I appreciate yeah. that because I, I don't do much promotion, Barbara. I do a lot more writing. I'll write something, finish it, and then go on to the next one. So I'm glad <laughs> you had to talk a little bit about some of the stuff I've done because otherwise yeah, I don't do much. Yeah, but we have a um, 
a, a, a group on Messenger that is um, called Books and Entertainment Tales from the Pages, which okay. is which is um, all the people who were ever on the show. Really? Plus, okay. I get it. And I add people all the that. time. So I wanted to add you to this group so you could meet everyone. And it's well, a that's very great. it's a verse group. So um I will, meeting I will meeting these that. people could be a very big thing for you because a lot of them know a lot of other people. It could be, and just, it's, uh, it could be just fun anyway. It doesn't have to be any leading. Yeah. It could be just fun to meet some interesting people who've gone through the same thing we've gone through, writing. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they're poets. They're, they're authors. They're, they're poets and authors, you know, like me. I have my book. So, yeah. anyway, um, uh, uh, I think we have really talked a lot about your books, so, um, yes. please explain how you started writing for Tales from the Moonlit Path. Oh, that's right. That's fairly new, Barbara. That that was something, I guess, just about a year ago when I started getting heavily into the writing my nonfiction short stories. I was looking for outlets. So, uh, you know, again, you look online, there's different online magazines. Some of them have print magazines that they, they, they'll do and I, I write stories, submit stories to them, stories that they want specifically. Sometimes they'll tell you I want they, whatever kind of type of story they want. You tailor it, certain amount of words they want, and you submit. And this was a magazine, online magazine, that I, I guess I had submitted a story to. Uh, it was published. I, I sent them a number of other things, so maybe even some uh, some harakus, and they, they kind of liked what I was sending them, and asked me if I wanted to make it be a you know a regular contributor um, to their magazine, which is I guess it comes out three or four times uh, in a quarter, so every every four months they have a they have a, a new a new magazine that comes out online. So they asked me to be part of their uh, team. Uh, I gladly accepted it because I get to put some of my writing out there every you know four times a year with them. That's cool. Do they pay you? This one does not, but but surprisingly, a number of them <laughs> do these days. Which would be your days? Because not, no, because they would give you. Yeah. Yeah. They they you know what, the way... pay. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to let. I just wanted to find out because it's so many authors, so many authors put their work into things that you don't get paid for. I mean, yeah. tons of this anthology, anthologies, and not a penny do I get paid. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it is what it is. It's expected in, in a sense, Barbara, you know there's so many writers out there and that, that there's so much to choose from, and I guess it's just one of those things you kind of want to build from. But there are magazines that do pay, and some of them pay a little, some of them pay quite a bit, but the ones that pay the most, you know, are going to be the ones that go to the professional writers that have names. So it's tough to even submit to those. But the ones that well, pay... Well, uh, yeah. yeah the I ones have that a pay friend a little who bit was, of, yeah, she was contributing to, you know, Westchester a, a magazine and things like that, and, and Connecticut... And she was working for Hearst, and um, she tried to send an article in to the woman, and it it was weird. She was very, you know, she was like, oh, you know. um, So 
it's not so great for even for professional you know people and and my friend has been writing she wrote restaurant reviews and she writes great reviews and and um she writes reviews of of all kinds of people and artists and things like that and but she can't seem to get yeah. her work into a magazine these days so yeah, it's very difficult it's it's Very definitely difficult. not easy, Barbara. Um, so are you working on anything now to be published? Uh, well, I'm working on something. Whether it's published or not, it will be up to me. I may self-publish again. I'm working on another anthology of uh, short stories, of stories that some of them were published last year in magazines, as I mentioned. I'm going to put them all together in my own uh, anthology, I'm sure. Uh, I'm not even going to bother trying to publish it. I'll self-publish it because they're my stories and there's going to be a, a whole bunch of them, about 25 of them all together in this, in, this, in this new book I'm going to be putting out by the end of the year. So I'm very proud of that. So I can't wait to you know, put those all together into a book. Oh, that's and good. Again, again yeah. a number of projects, Bob. I'm always working on something. If you're a writer, you did, there's maybe two or three things going on. But I'm working on another book right now that, um, again, in the horror genre that, that's that's something I'm working on on the side as well. So it's, there's always something cooking, something new. I got maybe two or three ideas I'm thinking about. So always something's always brewing, Barbara. Yeah. So you wrote you wrote in your not, your bio you were active in H. Oh wait, before we get yeah, I think we'll do this one first. You were active in HWA. Please know let yeah. us know what this organization is. Oh HWA, that's uh. That's Horror Writers Association. Oh, okay. That's, I should have figured that out. I yeah. didn't figure it out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I don't write horror. Um, I, don't, I, I, I don't write horror. I don't write any of that stuff, not science fiction, although I have written some flash stories. One was One's really funny. And... Um, and they're all science fiction, so it's it, they're funny science fiction. So, um, have you done much online or in-person promotion for your latest book, The Goblin Picture? Um, I haven't really done too much. As I said, I, I do tend to lack that ability to, to want to promote. I, I just go on to the next one. It's, it's not a good thing to have. I mean, I guess I should spend more time and more money doing it, but... I just I just feel a need to just go on to the to the next project. So again, the goblin. Well, you're doing is, something now, right? Right. Yes. This is something and that just you can use. And that this. just came about by accident. Yeah. That just came about because of you. I mean, if I, you know, it was one of those things. I wasn't really looking for it. It was just, just happened by chance, by good luck. Um, so I, I'm not actively looking, but when I you you came across something I I, I had on you know, on one of the sites and you. <laughs> you became interested. So it wasn't like I was looking for this kind of stuff, but I do need to do that myself more. I know I do. Yeah, well, Alignable um, is good for, for meeting people, but... Um, yes, it is. Yeah, it, and I, I found that um, some of the people I met in Alignable are, are are quite, you know, interesting, and some are friends, you know. Like some yeah. people I've known for years, they're on Alignable, so it's just... Or people that are in my group, even that are unlineable, so it's really yeah. quite interesting. Social so you media have a website. You mentioned your website. I do. Could you give your our listeners the link? 
and put your yeah, link. Yeah, I do it. I, your links. Oh, you're you're not on Facebook, but um, I'm not. I'm on everything else, though. I mean, I, I do stuff. But if you send I, me I links, the, I'll put them down for you. I, I will. Okay. I absolutely All will. Right? Again. Yeah. I will do that, Barbara. I appreciate that very much. And I don't know how much time we have left, but um, oh, we have plenty. I, we have until six. Um, I, so, uh, um, what about um, telling everyone your link now? So they can write it down the, if they can. Yes. Well, the the link is com. Just like the title of the book, thegoblinpitcher.com will take you to uh, the website for not just that book, but for all of my books. I, it's a site that I maintain myself through uh, the Authors Guild. And they, they provide the, the site for this, which I'm allowed to and I'm able to build from and I can add my books to as they come. Information oh, on all oh of my you're books part there. of the Authors oh. Guild. Yes, yes. I found that organization, I think it's very helpful with what they do there, and they do have a, a pretty uh, way to go about building a website fairly cheap and maintaining it and operating it yourself and adding content. So I found it to be really useful rather than going through somebody else to have a website and you've got to pay somebody to do all the stuff and call them when you want to change things and right. add things. and. It's just easy to do yourself and How did quite you get, cheap yeah. comparatively. How did you get into the author's guild? Did you have to apply? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, it's a, a monthly, um, a yearly fee. It's fairly cheap. I just when I was Googling around, looking for some information, how can I promote my books online? What, what's the best way to do this stuff? I mean, and that day came up. Um, and it's just another place to, to list list your books, whether it's, you know, any of the other no, places, I've heard a lot anything... of good things from the author's guild. Oh, they help get okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They help authors yeah, so get I... published. But you have so many books. <laughs> well, again, so that's the thing. The thing. <laughs> that's why the website comes in handy because it's it's not just the goblin pitch. That that's the main feature because I yeah you know, I wanted to make that central you know central feature of the website. But all my books are on there, and you can ways to. Go through there and look at the books, look for information on the books, and get to Amazon for each each book that you want. So I definitely hope people will check out thegoblinpitcher.com online. And I do want okay, to say, Bob, I don't have, I, I probably don't right. have, I probably don't have time to do to do a full interview till six. I remember I mentioned to you that I'm doing my my car uh, trade in today on my lease car, and they close at a certain time, so I do need to get going soon. Um, okay, but, but finally, I do my sure last I question. All your questions. Sure. Yeah, finally, my last question to all my guests. Are you a plotter okay. or a pantser? In other words, do you outline or do you just write? Wow, that that is a, that's a tough question. I know because uh, I've I've done both. The one I like like best is when I and I when I prepare and I plot out the story because I do like to get in, get some of it written down and then just put all the stuff I have in my head for this idea, throw it onto a computer file into a book file, and then go back and make sure I, I'm plotting it correctly because otherwise it starts to veer off. So I I, I do I do, you do I both. do like to plot the story out with an outline. Yeah, but first so you write. I have a lot. I'll write down all the main things that are in my head. Even if I have, even if it's dialogue, if it's like a scene, if it's a character's name, I just throw everything I can. Oh, onto the you screen, don't actually write the story and, in a line. Okay. Yeah. And then whittle yeah. it down and add to that section and just keep it moving along, almost like a, like a puzzle piece where you're just moving moving the puzzle pieces around till it till it fits and building on. Oh, it. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I get that. No, I, I'm. 
I'm totally opposite. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. See, I, what, does it I, work? That's the only thing. I just sit down, work? have an idea, and write. So I'll give you an idea of how I write. I'm doing my memoir now, which is, of course, nonfiction, hopefully. And yeah. and uh, I can sit down and write at a time um, 1,500 words. Okay, yeah. Right. And, then, and then I'll look at it, and the, so then I'll look at it. I have three chapters now. So I'll look at it, uh, or actually almost four, and I'll read it, reread it, and reread it, and then go back and um, write the next chapter. But when I was writing fiction, I just kept writing. Yeah. I started writing a story, and then I had an idea. But, of course, I always – do you always um, do your characters first? Uh, no, that's not always. Actually, I oh, tell the story really? first. Uh, the story is what, what gets me going, and the characters come oh, and they see? make the story and take it over, and they become they tell it. Um, and, yeah, see, yeah. and and my my thing is, I always do characters first. I always get an idea for a character, that's, and that's, then that yeah, character okay, moves my plot. I'm going to come up with the plot. See, I come up with the plot, and then I got to come up with characters now to bring that. Ah, plot out. So see, good. I never have a plot. So, the character. Yeah. See, I figure the character is going to do something. The character is going to move through the book, and whatever the character is doing, I just, you know, I yeah. will improvise and change and decide if it works or not. And if not, I'll just change it and you know, move on from there. But but um, I'm working, yeah, if you're writing a, a young adult novel, then it's it's a whole other thing because you can't kill off, you know, you don't want to kill off your character. So, yeah, I know. You know, it's so you have to make things awful for them, but not in a point where they're going to, you know, die. So these characters have to have things happen to them that are making them, you know, upset. And then, yeah. you know, you smooth it all away. And, okay, yeah, um, yeah, so I'm finished with that last book of the series. And when I finished, I was so excited because, you know, when I started writing this series, it wasn't even a series yeah. then, it's 2011. 2011, my book was published. And then um, I didn't want to write anything else afterward. And then um, I didn't write anything else. And I was thinking I'd write something else. I tried to write a more adult novel, but it didn't work. I brought it to a um, a California workshop, and it was very much fun with the beach and all, but... Uh, I did, and we we got a lot of work done, and there was an agent and um, and an editor there, but they didn't like my book. They didn't like it at all. They yeah, thought that things were wrong with it, and so I just put yep. this book away, and I decided I would just not 
do anything. And then do you go to NaNoWriMo each I year? I don't know. No. Well, that's National Novel Writers Month. It's to November. And each no, day you write so that by the end of the month you have written 50,000 words. Okay. So it doesn't seem like you could, but you do. <laughs> yeah. If you write a little more than 1,000 words a minute, like, like uh, 1,500 yeah. to 2,000 words a day, you can do it because it's 30 yeah. days. And and um, so I was at NaNoWriMo, and I needed an idea for a book. And who was Jennifer Taylor popped into my head? Just using Jennifer as a character. And yeah. Yeah. I started this at NaNo, finished it, came back to NaNo, and wrote, started writing this next book, The Mill Valley High Five. So NaNo helps me to focus and to, um, to write enough so that I'm started on a book and I, you know, I can just go on from there. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I have another group. Yeah. It's interesting, Barbara, how different people write, and um, I wish I had more time to to talk about it. I can to go till six, but like I said, I got I got to be out of the house shortly. Can so you can you I, I want, read an excerpt can, from your work? I I wish I don't have time. I got my wife saying we got to go go get that truck now before they close. So um, I'd love to come back. Okay, they right close now, I don't six? have that extra time. Yeah, they're closing soon, so I got to get going. Um, I mean. It was a great talk. I'd like to do it again if you have uh, another time. Sure. I just running come out of back. time today. Yeah, come yeah, back I'm next show. Available. Come back in August. I'm okay, I'll put That's you on the calendar. If, that. if there's nobody yeah. there and uh, you want me to fill it up, yeah. let me know. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, oh, it will be Bob, August. I'll tell you the date. It's going to be August. Um Let's see, the fourth Thursday in August would be, i got to see. All right, this would be Thursday, 3rd, 10th, 17th, 24th. Okay? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, thank so, you for, for this time right now. Oh, you're welcome. And, yeah, I know you, your wife wants you to go, so you got to go. Yeah. <laughs> And I think I've got not you much on talk here, Barbara. So it's 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 against my uh, usually I'm more of a, like I said the writing and I'm not much of a talker. So even to talk this long has been almost a miracle for for me. I'll, I'll tell you that you much talk, because I don't you do too much very of it. Well, I'm sure that you could you know talk about your book in person. You should go yeah. to bookstores around your area and see if you could get a book reading. You have so many books; they'll definitely let I you will. in. I will. All right, I'm coming, I'm coming, see? Okay. Well, it was very nice speaking with you, Paul. All right. And and, and, um, just go get your car done, cars are important. (laughs) Okay. All right, Bob, I appreciate your time All right, take care. Uh, Bye-bye. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Yes, thank you. Bye. And that was Paul Leonardo. 
And we are now 45 minutes, well, 5.33. Anybody wants to call in and talk to me, he's gone, but you can talk to me. (laughs) And um, you can tell me, you, you know, you can talk about the show, you can talk about yourself, you can talk about your own work. Whoever wants to talk to me, I am here, so call in. You want to read your poem? You want to do anything like that? Just call in, and I'm here. So the number is on the episode place. I won't give it out in on the um, radio because we've had some incidents here. But um, yeah, call in or while he's going he's gone so i will see if i can read something um let's see okay let me go to the chat see if anybody's there okay anyone here is anyone there Okay, we don't know. Let's see if we can get someone to come on the show. Um, If not, I'm going to read something again. So, I think I will read, let's see, um... Okay, let me read something. I'll read a bird poem because I read I read these poems in um in a webinar to children and the Glory Foundation, wonderful group. And this one is called White Bird in the Water. Curved white neck, graceful as the sweep of a woman's hair, standing straight as a statue, long black pointed beak protruding. It guards the space around it, searching, always searching, though still as a stone, feet planted in the loose sand, poised to strike, it holds its stance, a study in paused action, its eyes able only to see to the side, unaware of the vista in front of it. Aqua waves wash over its caged feet, yet it can rise in a second to grab the escaping prey, found finally, erupting with a splash as it goes. What could this white beauty be thinking, if it does think? Or is it only trained on the prize, waiting beneath the surface of the water? Would I have the patience of this magnificent bird to wait for the prize to come to me and not race around like a gobbling turkey or a scurrying mouse? In our attempt to find our prizes, could we not take our cue from this patient bird who takes a stance and does not budge until the prize is in sight? And that was White Bird in the Water. Ah, okay. 
And now, and now for another one, the one that I read here, the Paratoya. The Paratoya is a bird that lives in, I think, South America, but it's a tiny bird, and it it has this ritual for mating, so it's quite elaborate. And I saw it on a video. It's kind of amazing. They dance around like ballet dancers. And it inspired me to write the Paratoya. Sometimes nature brings you a present in the form of a courtship, as if choreographed by Balanchine himself, the tiny six-wire bird creates a ballet. As he presents himself in hopes to snare a female from his tantalizing dance, With great care, he prepares his stage and then takes a dainty step forward, lifting his feathers to create a bouffant skirt, whirling in the space as he twirls, slowly at first as the spectators assemble on their perch, watching the way he swirls his feathers and exposes iridescent circles hidden until this moment. As they glow and he moves faster and faster, You can almost believe his tiny feet are encased in ballet slippers, and the upswept feathers are the delicate tutu of a prima ballet virtuoso. As he twists and turns and preens and shines, the audience examines and decides more discerning than most women choosing a mate. And as some have said, men might gain knowledge from the actions of this strange-looking bird on how to please the females in their life. Perhaps all would be better if men had been given feathers and could raise them and perform for the affection of their chosen one. A whole world filled with men performing ballet to adoring women, reversing the roles as women cast their votes for the ones who dance the best. End poem. And then the last one, I read all of these on there, Pelicans on the Beach. And this, is, and this came from that experience I talked about um, when I went to the workshop on the water. Okay, Pelicans on the Beach. Congregating in a large group and incongruous sight, on the long stretch of crystalline sand, I spied pelicans reminding me of staid businessmen in their dark gray bodies, hardly moving if only one or two ventured from the flock, attending to the patch of beach beneath their splayed feet. They were uncaring as I ventured close enough to see their massive bills at rest now, waiting for the taste of seawater and dinners. Observing as a curious bystander, my heart leaped as one by one they soared into the open azure-tinned sky, unfurling their wings in a display of freedom, creating a moment of wonder at the intricacies of nature's creations and bringing to the spill of a memory captured in the second they sprang from the earth and displayed their true prowess. Anyway... (laughs) I'm on the air. Okay, so that's the end of that. And um, let me let me go to 
um, another thing. I'm so sorry. Just got taken away. Um, Let me read you some poems from my book because I don't usually read poems from my book, but you might enjoy these. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll read you the first poem. Our First Meeting The week after Christmas, 54 years ago, we met in Kew Gardens, where I lived, barely a college student, in my black stretch pants and zippered sweater. Only 17 and wary of the brash boy who had charmed me on the phone. You appeared smelling of old spice, a wild wind of a man, and we walked to the Austin Theater past the pocket park, its benches usually filled with ogling neighborhood residents, toward the neon lights to see Ingmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries, a first date, and you, the essence of a gentleman, slipping easily between brash boyishness and extreme care for me. As first date drifted to second and third, suddenly I knew you, this cavalier charmer, would be more to me someday, as if the message had been conveyed by angelic carolers. But I chose the callow Harvard boy for New Year's Eve, though this choice caused a hole in my heart when I heard of the pain you had suffered without me from my deceit, and your words on onion skin sheets wooed me from afar. I waited until we were wed to disclose the truth of that night, and you jumped ahead of the pack of fruitless, unconnected college boy dates, the one who felt right for me whose humor brought me to tears, and who I wanted to spend my whole life exploring. And I knew, though we were an ocean apart, eventually you would be my one. And that was our first meeting by Barbara True. And now we go to the next poem that I think you'll probably like, which is called... The moment I fell in love. No one prepared me for the moment when all reason flew away and logic dissolved. A wanton, unknown girl emerged as your lips touched mine and your mouth formed an allegiance as mine surrendered, engulfed by those two soft soldiers who pressed their flesh into my soul. I knew when you held me close and I wanted to melt into you. This was destiny, planting its mark on my lips. And that was the moment I fell in love. I don't know if I should read the... I can't read that one. Um... Let's see what I should read. I'm trying to think. A study of love. Love can't be dissected. It doesn't lie there like a specimen waiting for someone to uncover its secret. The tantalizing thread it casts cannot be seen until too late. And then there you are in the net, caught by the gossamer delight of the thrill. 
No roller coaster ride can duplicate the charge that connects you to the other forever in a wild and crazy dance through the years. And you swirl with the changes as the whirlpool sucks you deeper into its vortex. And that was the study of love. And... Here's one, red. This is in the marriage section. Some days start out tangled, nothing minds, as if the whole world is revolting from within, and these days move in a slow and measured pace to their conclusion. When the mess inside pours like blood onto the space in front of you, over the person who started it all, knocks over the innocent standing in its path. A human explosion issues forth, volcanic fury erupting unexpected. Molten lava rolling down the contours of my face, only to cool in your icy glare. And that's red. Okay. Here's one. All the goodbyes. Because I moved around a lot, so when I had to move, it really bothered me. All the goodbyes. Once I thought memories remained in the walls, so when we left, our inner selves stayed in the places where we had lived. Old scratch photos of younger selves, thinner and full of energy, and the days of sunshine when we frolicked in a tree-shaded glen where the clear water skipped over stones and we walked barefoot in a cool stream as we hurried to find a place where all of us could lay down our blankets and bask in the sunshine. And I remember early mornings when we bicycled to the park nearby, our tennis rackets tied to our bikes, and we volleyed back and forth when you and I weren't hunting for poorly hit balls. Your hair and beard still dark and curly, and mine pulled tight against my head to keep it smooth. That crazy apartment in Buffalo, we painted in primary colors. And the parties we had with everyone squeezing into the walk-up two-bedroom apartment while Lady Balzac sat eagerly, her enormous form blocking the food as we shielded it from her sweet pink tongue. And she eventually took her hefty Newfoundland self off to a cool space while I served my latest creation to so many guests I lost count. But we didn't care, for we were high on wine and pot and young, so young, I never believed we would ever leave. And these precious moments would be sewn into the walls as we age somewhere else, far away from these golden moments. That was all the goodbyes from my book. And here's one about love. Give me that feeling when all you want to do is smile wide as a moon and dance around the room like a loon where emotions burst forth, spewing like errant fireworks, helter-skelter, all happiness and all glitter. And I want to wrap my arms around all human beings to show them how happy I am. So intense is this feeling, it brings tears when I think of my loved one joy and passion mixed together when I dwell on his arms around mine and never letting go. 
And that was love. So this is anti-love. These were written on the same time, so this is anti-love. Is this the same person who years before swore his allegiance to me, whose arms opened wide, providing a safe haven for my weary head, and I rested there content in flat net space, carving a niche for myself where I could return when needed? Is this the same person who tenderly held me and kissed me with passion, fueled by his fire to consume me, and I trembled with the same fire, slipping effortlessly as our bodies fit together, a roar only we could hear, and wanting you all the time was the only way we felt. That person has withered and been replaced by a half-man who has forgotten the joy and the passion, who no longer feels the ache we once had for each other, and now has locked his heart in a freezer. <laughs> and this is, this is, um, I think I'm going to end soon, but this is called California, Here We Come. The mamas and the papas planted in my snow-numbed soul, the joy of California dreaming, an eye-seeker of rainbows in my naive youth, gathered out few things, and we traveled in a 1967 Fiat on unexplored roads, the scent of orange blossoms in my head, leading us onward through Arizona's pine-scented forests into the great desert whose sun-soaked afternoons lulled us, and there was the promised land, freeways and shingled homes, lives lived in transition, rented furnished apartment with a pool shrouded in smog most of the time, and a population changing day to day. And realizing the dream was not the reality, we traveled back to the snow and cold, back to where our na- your neighbor lasted more than a month, and we left California to dream alone. End poem. And then... I could end on Balzac Sestina, but I think I will read Long Island. Long Island. The smell of wild roses growing along the shoreline announces the start of summer. I till the soil each spring for my garden where bright red cherry tomatoes and plump round beefsteak ones grew, baby carrots fresh from the soil and nasturtiums growing nearby. The girls played on the bricks, tightrope walking along the edges, singing and dancing while performing their productions. The hammock hung between the dogwood trees where I lay, facing the sky canopied with the fragrant leaves wild strawberries grew in the grass of my backyard and when I mowed the smell of wild onions surrounded me as the tall grass tickled my legs along the fence the roses bloomed in paint box colors white flowers painted with red as if brushed by an invisible artist On the side of the house, peonies grew in pink profusion. I'd cut them and bring them straight to the sink, 
their blooms held ants between the petals, so I'd run the water hoping not to flatten their beauty. In front were the azalea bushes, white and pink bouquets, and the impatience planted along the edge, mixing with purple hyacinths. In spring, the tulips grew in ordered rows. Later in the summer, the gladiolas would tower over all with their trumpet-shaped blooms, so heavy they would lean over. I went past the house since we left. The new owners pulled up the garden, replaced it with ground cover. It's as if my life were erased, and all I have are half-remembered memories when my life was carpools, raking, mowing, and planting a garden, when mother was my job and wife sat on the back burner. Long Island, Suffolk County, Rocky Point, you live as the impression on the sand stays after the tide ebbs on your beaches, where once we walked our bare feet leaving no impression on the shifting sand. End poem. And that was Long Island. And I think I'll read one more poem from the today, um, today's, let's see. is interesting. Another scam on Facebook. How exciting. (laughs) Um, So let me just read one more poem. Um, I'll read Love Touched Me Once. Love touched me once. When I was young and days held promise, love touched my heart and let it in with the silken threads of romance, threading my days together, thinking only of my lover's touch, his soft fingers slipping over my skin, leaving fiery trails beneath, igniting a spark that never became an ember. Love touched my life and propelled me in a direction beyond my expectations, turned my world upside down and twirled me in its embrace until I forgot which way was up or down and it didn't matter. Love called the shots and to it I gave my heart. It was my touchstone and my compass, always finding the way home, for home was always love. And that was Love Touched Me Once. And um, I am going to be having a show again on August 24th. And I hope that you will um, you will be able to come to that one. And um, I... Um, I just want to say that it's been a pleasure. It was a pleasure talking with Paul Leonardo. I love meeting new artists and finding out about their work and how they work. And please go 
get the if you have any children, especially if you have a boy who plays baseball and doesn't really like reading, this looks like a perfect book for him. It's called The Goblin Pitcher by Paul Leonardo, and I think he'll really like it, your child. Or maybe a girl. A girl who likes baseball might enjoy it too. So, you know, everyone likes is allowed these days. So, anyway, um I just want to say thank you again to everyone and um we will have our show again on August 24th with Paul Leonardo and another guest. I believe I had it, but I lost it. So whoever is going to come on, we'll find out. Um, people in the chat room, you did not come to the show. You did not call. I waited for you, but you did not call. And especially Brian. But um, I'm going to um, get off now in se- in a few minutes and um, come listen if you haven't listened if you're listening now and you haven't listened um, thank you and um, that's it I just want to say thank you and I'll be back in August maybe with some really interesting news but um, until then take care And bye-bye. And I will leave you with a little bit of music. Um, I always like David's. It's by David Soroy. Everything Changes. Find the antidote to loneliness.